Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Homeland Hero Salute. In today's episode, we are revisiting our interview with Jessica Briggs, spouse to Art Briggs, who you might recognize from our second veteran interview and guest host. In this episode, Jessica shares her experiences getting married young, being a new bride to a soldier deployed, along with the triumphs and struggles her marriage has faced in nearly 20 years. Jessica is a mother, a wife, minister, counselor, and author of Brave Women, Strong Faith, inspiring stories of military women and wives, which you can find on Amazon. Learn more about Jessica on her website, jessicabriggs.ink. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Homeland Harris Salute. My name is Alyssa, and today we have a special guest joining us for a special interview with a spouse. Jessica Briggs is the wife of Arthur Briggs, who we've interviewed before, and you may have heard him helping me interview a couple times with other veterans. He has been a pleasure to have on the podcast with me. He's a great one to help interview with, um, and I've really enjoyed talking with him over the last year and a half of starting this podcast. And I'm excited to hear from what he would call as his better half and as his bride. Um, so I'm excited to have you on. How are you, Jessica? I'm very well. Thank you for having me, Alyssa. Yeah. So I'm excited to talk about your experience being part of the military community as a military spouse. Can you tell us in the audience a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, um, where you live now with your husband, um, what your background is, what your career is? Absolutely. So I grew up in a very small town in upstate New York. I had more cows than people. Um, <laughs> I actually went to private school for most of my life, but in 10th grade, I transferred to public school and that's when I met my husband. So we grew up in the same rural area. We did not date though until later in life. My current residence is Maine. I like to say that I'm a New York girl with a Southern accent living in Maine because that is the journey that military life has taken us on the past 18 years. We spent 13 years in the South and now we're back in the North, which has been wonderful. Um, so like many military spouses, I left college to get married to my soldier, but I did return to school in my twenties and actually earned a master's degree in mental health counseling. So I have a background in mental health, but I've also worked for about the past 10 years more in ministry related settings because my husband's a chaplain. Um, so I'm a pastor, I'm a counselor, I'm also an author. Uh, my debut book is being released just next week. And I'm also just, you know, a COVID stay at home mom homeschooling my kids in the season. So I wear lots of hats. That's very, a very impressive resume. And um, just so people in the audience know, we are pre-recording this. Um, it is October of 2020. So your book, what is your book, um, the name of your book? Sure. My book is called Brave Women, Strong Faith, Inspiring Stories by Military Women and Wives. And it's releasing on October 13th. So by the time this podcast is aired, um, it will be live. That's really exciting. It is. That's awesome. Um, so now I, I, I'm privileged to know a little bit more about you than um, most people because I, I know art really well. Um, but you have two children, a little boy and a little girl. Um, we do. 
And you've been homeschooling them for longer than COVID, correct? That's true. So we pulled them out of school in North Carolina when we were stationed there. So we are in our fourth year of doing homeschool. Uh, My daughter is a sixth grader and my son's a kindergartner this year. Oh, those are fun. Sixth grade. They're lots of fun. Sixth grade, we learned, um, I got really into history. So that's, that's a lot of fun. Um, how has homeschooling changed, um, being, having, you know, dealing with COVID now? Um, so for us, it was kind of like just continuing as usual, Mm -hmm. as far as education goes, but it has taken away a lot of our extracurricular activities. Um, my daughter used to go to like a nature school and things like that are just not gathering right now. So uh, it's been different. It's been challenging because a lot of homeschool families really do rely upon extracurricular activities and events to kind of participate together and hang out with people your own age. So it's been a bit isolating for our children, but they're taking it like troopers so far and doing things on Zoom as they can, book clubs and classes through Harvard's Cooperative Learning Extension and all sorts of fun things. That's awesome that they can continue to take advantage of a lot of the different programs that are out there. Um, Yeah. So your current relation to the Army, you are married to a chaplain. Um, Is he still active duty? He is. And he's not in the Army anymore either. So the first 10 years of our marriage, my husband was in the Army and then we switched and now we're a Navy family. Um, he's an active duty chaplain. He's been active duty, uh, in the chaplain corps for about five years now. So that has been a little bit different. We've gotten to switch between branches of service and we've also, as a Navy chaplain, he served the Marine Corps for a period. So we've actually participated in three branches so far in the communities, which all have their own nuances. Absolutely. Yeah. And we can talk about that later in the podcast. Um, so what was your relation to the military prior to knowing art? So, uh, of course, like a lot of kids born in the eighties and nineties, my grandfathers had served in world war II. Um, and then I had one uncle that enlisted in the army during desert storm. I think I was in third grade and I remember just being very proud of him. And actually, like my little private school put together a little chorus concert, like to salute the troops, kind of. And he got to be a special guest when he came home from deployment. So uh, I definitely had admiration for our military, but not a huge amount of exposure. I didn't live anywhere near like a military installation um, other than my uncle. Like that was the only knowledge I ever really had in my life until. Um, I became a bride at 19 and married into this lifestyle. Did your family, your grandfathers and your uncle that served share stories um, as you were growing up about their time and experience in the military? No, unfortunately not. My my grandfather passed away when my dad was in high school. So I never had an opportunity to know him. Of course, you know, we have family history memorabilia from his war serving time. Uh, some photos, things like that, but I never really heard like stories of the war, so to speak, and nothing really about Desert Storm either. That's that's one. I think. Um, what was it considered a war? 
Yeah, I think it was eventually. I don't think it started that way, but then now in retrospect, they consider them war veterans. Yeah, and they they absolutely should. Um, And that's one I think that kind of people seem to forget that we that the U.S. had military action in 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 that time period. Um, There's a lot of focus on World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and then what we're dealing with now for the last 20 years. Before you were a part of the military life, did you have any specific views or stereotypes that you held? No, I don't think I really did. I mean, my knowledge of military life was probably the same as most people's, like Hollywood movies, maybe. And this was... (laughs) My husband and I married in 2002, so it was kind of before, like, Army Wives was out and all the, like, really popular war movies that came out in the early 2000s. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I didn't have an extensive knowledge, but we learned very quickly, not just because I married my husband, but really my, my entire extended family kind of became a military family. My brother joined the Air Force. My husband's brother joined the Army. So, um... All of our siblings are, you know, military families also. Wow, that's that's must be really incredible to have people that are so close to you being family members, being able to share that experience to a certain degree and having yeah. that support right in your immediate family. Yeah, for sure. It's been interesting and also hard because for yeah. the past, you know, 15 years, none of us have ever lived in the same location. Oh, that, yeah, that's very hard, especially when you're really close to your family. For sure. What were some of your views of military service members before being in a relationship with one? Because you guys um, were really young. <laughs> so I'm sure some of it was um, glamorized, maybe. I would say kind of the opposite, okay. like almost almost de-glamorized. Like it was kind of like if you didn't have really good goals to go to college you join the military. Um, so I think a stereotype that even still sticks now, you know, 20 years later, just about is that people in the military are uneducated. Um, and definitely when we were young married, like the first five to 10 years, there's a very strong stereotype that military wives are uneducated. Like we just either graduated high school and married somebody or dropped out of college and married somebody. And well, we might've put a pause on our education, I would say an overwhelming majority of people, even enlisted people in the military and even all the spouses, almost everybody's got a college degree at this point. Yeah. Um, And I mean, depending on your job, if you scored super high on the ASFAB, then you're like a very brilliant person. So there's even people that have never gone to college that serve in our armed forces that are very brilliant people. Yeah, they just take a different path at life. And, you know, life is all about choices and you got to do the best for, for you. But that doesn't mean negative things. Um, That's right. There's a question I wanted to ask you and I totally blanked on it now. Um, have any of your views or expectations when you first got married between then and now, it's been almost 20 years you guys have been together. Have any of those views and expectations changed? Yeah, I think so. Um, I thought once we were like kind of used to this lifestyle that it would become easier, but I've found as the years wear on, the goodbyes get harder. Mm -hmm. Um, 
because you kind of know like all that it entails. Um, so yeah, I kind of, I remember very clearly my husband's first three deployments, we had no children. And I remember kind of being envious of my friends with kids, like, well, at least you have someone to keep you company or, you know, you can snuggle a kid when you're feeling lonely. Mm -hmm. Um, and then our last deployment, we had both of our children and it was so much more difficult emotionally to not just take care of my own needs, but their needs and their missing of daddy. Um, so that was kind of naive of me to think like, Oh, at least you'd have companionship. It was so much harder with children than it was Mm -hmm. just being single and kind of, you know, busying myself with an extra job or something to make the time pass by. Yeah. Um, You worry about their emotions involved with it too, which takes on a totally different role. Yes, for sure. And, you know, being essentially a single parent for us, that was a 10 month deployment. So for almost a year, you know, you were the sun, moon and stars at all times because there was no alternative. Yeah, I think that's a huge misconception too with military spouses and military families is, you know, it's not just the military spouse who is the one sacrificing. It's, there's a lot of sacrifice that I'm sure you've had to deal with and that your children have had to deal with. And then on top of that, your extended family. Um, Oh yeah. Not being able to be around them and then having your spouse, you know, he, it's not like he's, gone for a week and he come gets to come home on the weekends he's like overseas putting his life on the line um and that's something that you and your children and in your family and in his family have to have to deal with as well yeah there's lots of moving parts to our yeah. lifestyle for sure but a lot of positives as well so let's let's move into some positives right now so tell sure. us Tell us a little bit about art. (laughs) (laughs) Art needs no introduction. Um, My husband is somebody that you'll meet and probably never forget. He's got a very big personality, but a very big heart that goes with it. Um, I met my husband, like I said, in high school. We were just friends in those days, but we bonded over our choice of 90s music. I think I borrowed a Dr. Dre CD from him and he borrowed a Gwen Stefani CD from me. Um, (laughs) and that was the beginning of a good friendship. Um, so my husband, you know, grew up in a very small town. He always was a hard worker. So he actually joined the army when he was 17. He graduated high school when he was 17 and a week later shipped off. Um, we didn't have much of a relationship at that time in life because I had already been away to college, but, um, I knew that he was going in the army because we're from a super small town mm-hmm. and I didn't hear from him until after nine 11. Oh, wow. So he, he joined in July of 2001 mm-hmm. in what we thought was peacetime. Right. Yeah. Um, and then after nine 11, my mom is kind of like the hometown heroes person from our mm-hmm. small town at that time. So she had put together, some Christmas care packages for local troops and sent one to Art. And Mm. Art got it and was home on leave for Christmas and saw her out in town and said, thank you. And then asked for my phone number and we kind of reconnected that way. Um, So we began dating shortly after that and the rest is history kind of, but 
at that time, my husband was just an E1 in the army. He was brand new in his army career. Um, he was an E1 when we, when we got married. So we started at like the very bottom of military life. And then uh, he worked very hard and earned his way up to an E6 in the army. And then he chose to get out at 10 years of service and pursue a master's degree. And then, so we were civilians for like a three and a half year period. Oh, I did. And then, yeah. And then after he was done with his master's degree, he applied to uh, the Navy officer program for chaplaincy. And he had to like interview at the Pentagon. And then he was accepted as a chaplain and we re-entered our military career again. Um. So we've been married for 18 years, but technically like his years in service is 15. Okay. Um, but we lived still in a military town when he was going to school and we were both pastors of the church for that period of time that he was uh, taking a break from the military and we served the Navy community. So it was kind of still very military centric, even though we were civilians technically for those couple of years. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we've been on a journey. For sure. He went from a 17-year-old high school kid that joined the Army to uh, a professional officer in his career. And now we have the great pleasure of really serving and loving our military community in a different capacity. It's different from just serving in the military. We get to take care of them as a chaplain family. That's incredible. Um, And it's especially, I mean... For one first, the most incredible thing is that you guys got married so young and are still having a successful marriage today. I think that's something that not many people um, you don't hear of very often, unfortunately. Um, and then I know with a lot of marriages in military life, um, people tend to get married pretty young. And by the time they're 25, they're divorced. So and then going through all of the changes, I mean, I think as a marriage and in a relationship, you want to be able to grow with someone and how has being able to grow together one together in a relationship, but also how has growing as your own people Because, but I know in the last 10 years from when I was a teenager to now I've grown a tremendous amount. Um, so how has that impacted your lives individually and your relationship? Yeah, that's a really good question. So, um, we are still married and (laughs) that's a great thing, but it hasn't always been easy. That's for sure. In fact, um, I know that Art shared in his interview, you know, last year about kind of the struggles that we had in our marriage during deployment, especially, uh, it was very challenging. There's a lot of pressure from all sides to kind of not survive this lifestyle in your marriage, you know, it's hard to be apart from somebody that you love period. But when you're thinking like his deployments back in the early two thousands, he's gone in the army for a year every time. And we did three of those. So in the first five years of our marriage, we spent maybe two years together, maybe. Um, So in, in essence, we were married and we were figuring life out as young adults, but we were kind of developing as individuals more than as a couple because of the separation. Um, And really even our most recent deployment, which he came home in 2017 from that one, 
it's been a few years now, but it, it took us like a good year just to reintegrate. I mean, we talked every day during deployment. We knew what was going on in each other's lives, but we do change as individuals all the time. And we're able to kind of to discuss those things and process those things in real life, like when we're living it together. But through the separation, there's that disconnect. So it took us a while to learn how we changed and how maybe uh, our personalities are different or matured in other ways. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really something that we don't talk a lot about. I think kind of the stereotype that exists out in the world, you know, we're at the point where 99% of our population has no familiarity with uh, military people, less than 1% is serving at this point. Um, But I think everybody thinks homecoming is like this super romantic moment, you know, like banners and, you know, this special embrace and kiss and everybody cheering and waving their little American flags. And that might be a moment for homecoming, but the rest of it, like the coming home and learning how to be a family and how to be a couple. And, um, those are long and grueling months and there is a loss in it. You know, uh, there are, days and weeks and months and moments that you did not get to share. And that's just the reality. And it's like, it's really like any other form of grief for you. You don't pretend like it didn't happen. You have to acknowledge it for what it is. And, and it becomes part of who you are as a couple and as an individual. So we've had to learn to lean into that pain kind of, and accept it and move forward in it. Um, I think that's, that's a good way of putting it that it there is there is a sense of grief there because it's something that you can't replace you can't get back it's, it's that's right it's kind of gone forever as kind of morbid as that sounds but i think being able to come together and find how you can move forward is important what are what are some things that you guys have done to help move forward Yeah, we've done lots of different things. There's been periods of life where we needed like marriage counseling just to have some tools to teach us how to communicate more effectively after having a long absence. Uh, There's been times where either of us have gone to therapy as individuals just to have that outlet and that help to kind of figure out without having like conflict with each other. You know, there's been definitely times where we've just had to set aside kind of like sacred space where we say like, Hey, on Monday nights, we're really going to like be intentional and have a conversation instead of, you know, getting caught up in life, which is busy, busy, go, go. And then sometimes you're tired and you just want to watch Netflix. Um, so just like really having to carve out intentional space in our relationship. And there's lots of people out there that give marriage advice and say like, you should date your spouse. And honestly, in our lifestyle, it's just not always possible. First of all, we don't, always have trusted people to be the babysitters to watch our children to get out for a date night. Um, So we have to just learn to be creative and find ways to connect in everyday life. In this season, we're really fortunate. My husband literally works across the street from our house because we live on our installation. So he's able to like come home for lunch and um, he doesn't have to commute in the morning so we can have that time to have a cup of coffee together. So those, those are good moments for us to be able to have after, you know, our last duty station was where he deployed. So it's given us that time as a family to reconnect and 
you know, kind of dream together again. Yeah, that's that's very important, I think, for any kind of relationship as well. Um, how has um, Art's job being in the military affected your social life and relationships with immediate family and extended and extended family, close friends, important people in your life? Yeah, I mean, we we love our family. We love, you know, our parents, our siblings. But the reality is, is we don't get a lot of time. Like life still goes on, even though our lifestyle is consumed by our community. Um, so we don't always get those moments to hop in the car and go have Sunday dinner with mom and dad. In fact, now that's impossible. We live at nine states away from our families right now. But yeah, it's been hard. There's definitely a distance, a, a unknowing, like we don't know each other the way that maybe a typical family that kind of all lives in proximity to each other would. There's definitely a sadness, like when my children play a soccer game, like there's never going to be a grandparent or an aunt and uncle on the sidelines. Like it's just a reality that we deal with. But in the lack, there's also good because we've had the opportunity to kind of create our own friends that have become like family in each place that we've landed because we kind of have to be that for one another in our communities, you know you move to a new place and you register your kids for an event. And the first thing they want to know is an emergency contact. And you're like, Hey neighbor, nice to meet you. Um, I, I know I just got your phone number like five minutes ago, but can I use you as an emergency contact? Um, and that's just kind of how it has be in our communities is that we have to kind of create those relationships fresh every time we're in a new place because we don't get to, have that with our families. Of course, we still, you know, FaceTime and be in touch and text and things like that. But just like I was saying, there's a different kind of a knowing even when my husband's separated, like on deployment, we're still communicating, but it's not the same as being together. Um, there, and I think everybody can relate to that right now with COVID. Like there is yeah. a real difference between being in the same room with somebody versus over a screen, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. I know um, I only live a couple of states away from my family. And when COVID first happened, because I'm in an area that's um, more heavily populated and um, I'm in just outside of the Boston area. So it was a hot spot for a while. We didn't, I think I went to the grocery store or I left my house in April, maybe twice. Um, and I actually went three months to the day from seeing my mom and my little sister and my niece. And I like the first time I was like went home and was able to hug them. I just like cried. So it's, it's definitely, I think a lot of people can, can just slightly touch the tip of the iceberg in regards to what military families deal with on a daily basis um, with what we're going on with, with COVID right now. Um, so you guys have lived in how many places together? We have lived in four states and about to be five. We actually uh, will PCS in January. So yeah, we've lived in four states, almost five, which is really unusual. We were in one place for 10 years, which oh. is not super normal for military families. You're not talking smack about me, are you? 
<laughs> of course we talking are. smack about me. <laughs> Bye, Art. Did you get the message? I'm not supposed to be on this one. Yeah, you're not supposed to be on this call. <laughs> you can't be muting me. That's jacked up, man. <laughs> you're not going to win this one, Art. Dave abandoned her already? Gary. It was jacked up, man. His name's Gary. Gary, that's what I said. I interviewed him just a few weeks ago. He's a good guy. He'll be on the next one. I'm supposed (laughs) to be a big part of this. No. Hey. You suck the air out of the room, remember? (laughs) She muted. Suck the air out of the room? Is that what you said? Yes. I think those were your words, actually. Uh, Alyssa, are you serious? <laughs> are you talking junk about me as your former co-host? I am. I said a lot of good I'm things the... about you in the beginning. Oh, yeah. The only good thing about me is this woman that you're interviewing. You know that's right, too. <laughs> yes, I do. You're going to have to scrub all this on editing, huh? Oh, man. No, they'll put it in there. <laughs> We're going to keep amazing. all of this. <laughs> yeah. She's a legend. She's a legend for She's sure. She's pretty cool. I see why you married yeah. her. She's my favorite person in the whole world. <laughs> you can hear the admiration in his voice, too. I love it. <laughs> Well, while we were interrupted by art. <laughs> right. <laughs> Can you hear me? Um, is he still there in there? No, nah, he's gone. <laughs> I was going to say, did you, if you both had advice for anyone getting married to a member of the military. I mean, it's... It's unique, right? Our marriage and our lifestyle for his career also is really integrated into all other parts of our life. But at the same time, it is just like any other marriage, right? Like the key to any good marriage is good communication and remembering what brought you together, why you love each other, you know, and keeping that part of your relationship alive. And for us, uh, really what brought us together was our friendship. And we, that's, I think what's made us last for so long so far is like, we, we laugh together. We are friends. Mm -hmm. We share what happened in our day and we text each other inappropriate memes, like all the (laughs) things that you would do with your best friend. He's my best friend. So that's, I think, very unique to find too. Is that you can be, I mean, building a relationship on a friendship is probably, I think, one of the most important things. That's awesome that you guys have found that and found that young. Yeah, for sure. I don't think we knew what we were doing when we were really young, but I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad that it's worked out. <laughs> I, don't think, I mean, anyone who's looking back on their teenage years would probably say that. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. We thought we knew. We sure thought we did, but... 
uh, we had a lot of growing to do. <laughs> what was your family's reactions when you guys decided to get married so young? Our family, my, my family was really supportive. Art was, you know, traditional and respectful and asked my dad's permission before he proposed. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents knew that we were good friends for several years before we started being romantically involved. So I don't think it was too big of a surprise to them. Art's family didn't really know much about me though. So that took some time and some getting used to each other for sure. But we, we all have good relationships now and enjoy the time that we get to spend with them. Actually, my parents are visiting for the first time since COVID. So we haven't seen them since last Christmas. Um, so it's really nice to spend some time with them and then, We'll see Art's brother, hopefully, in the next week or two as well. So it's nice to have some time together after really a year of our own isolation. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we know that Art, you guys are together now. He hasn't been deployed since 2017, which is about three, almost coming up four years about. Um, That's right. What? Were can you talk about some of the deployments? So he was deployed four times in the last 18 years that you guys have been together. Um, your daughter is 12, your son is five. So he was deployed before they were born, and then also before your son was born. Um, and then while you're the for the first couple of years of your son's life, um, can you talk about each of those deployments a little bit? Sure. So his very first appointment was to Afghanistan in 2003. Uh, we were married for, well, let me think, seven months when he deployed. So very brand new, young and married. Um, of course, we weren't surprised that orders came because, you know, this was off the heels of 9-11 and things were heating up in the Middle East. So that first deployment, there was very little infrastructure for the military. I think he only got to call home twice on that whole deployment. And both times, like the the phone was on delay and there was so much static and interference and bombs going off in the background. So it was like, hey, and like five minutes later, you would hear the response. And then there were very brief calls. but. I knew he was okay. He wrote me a couple of times, but um, I thought like, oh, a good army wife writes her husband every day. And that's what I did on that deployment. I wrote him a letter every day Um, and actually did that for the first three deployments. Um, I sent him a care package every week, you know, snacks and whatnot, Mm -hmm. just random stuff. So that was our first deployment uh, with very little really contact with each other. He came home for Thanksgiving of 2003 and he came home different. And that was just really hard to deal with because we were young. Um, I turned 21 when he was deployed and he turned 20 that deployment. So we're still super young and just barely married. You know, we've only Mm -hmm. spent about five or six months actually together before his deployment because he was, you know, away on training exercises and whatnot before deployment. Um, And he came home, you know, 
probably with PTSD. We didn't know much about it when we were that young, but nightmares and being on edge and paranoid when we drove down the road that there was like a bomb on the side of the road, just, you know, things that I wasn't equipped to deal with as a young adult. Honestly, we're still in lots of ways like kids yeah, Um, or how to deal with it, like inside of a committed married relationship. So Mm -hmm. it was really hard. He found a lot of solace at the end of a bottle at that time. Um, Mm. which was never a good combination, but you know, I kept just telling myself he went to war. Like, I don't, I don't know what that's like. Right. Um, and just tried to love him in the meantime and, you know, muscle through it one day at a time, kind of. Yeah. So he was home from November of 2003 until June of 2004 and he got orders to go to Iraq so that deployment was like a surprise it was Mm. probably 10 days before they're like hey guess what you're going um so there was like no lead on time to prepare for it really so he packed his bags and off he went Mm -hmm. and same there wasn't a whole lot of infrastructure we were able to have a few more phone calls that time but it was mostly we relied on uh, letter writing to stay in touch from it was a year long deployment. So June of 2004 to June of 2005. And of course, like when they come home, there is that like honeymooning period where everything's happy. We're so happy to be together. But then, you know, it wasn't long before it was very clear that war had paid its toll. Um, my husband lost one of his leaders on that deployment. So that was really hard on him. And right after he got home, we got orders to like move. So it's just another adjustment again. And we thought we got orders to this tiny little base in Virginia Beach that nobody's ever heard of for the army called Fort Story. And we're like, it's a tiny base. There's no way he's deploying from here. It's a transportation unit, like no big deal. So we moved to Virginia and, uh, like just a couple of weeks later, he got orders to go back to Iraq. Oh so he left. Um, we, we got orders ahead of time that time, but about six months later, he had packed his bags and left again. So it was kind of like he had all this baggage from war, you know, PTSD. He was handling things very unhealthy, like through drinking and kind of just being distant. We didn't connect like in deep ways you know it was just very kind of shallow surfacey but it had to be like we didn't have time to to get help or to figure out what was going on in life or to to even build relationships with other people that have been through this um you know it's funny now because he's a chaplain but we never thought to like go visit a chaplain or there were no resources that we knew how to like immediately access for support so we just did what everybody does. We swept it under the rug and mm-hmm. hoped for a better day. So on that deployment is kind of when our relationship really deteriorated. My husband left in August of 2006. And by the end of October, he was asking for a divorce and was having a relationship, you know, a long distance relationship with somebody else. And it was a very hurtful time in our marriage, especially for me, because I felt like, 
was this perfect army wife. Like I wrote you a letter every day that you've been deployed and I've sent you care packages every week and I haven't cheated on you. And I work two jobs. Like, you know, I'm not spending all your money or kind of like all the stereotypes that people think of when a husband's away at war. Um, you know, by all rights and purposes, I was the perfect wife and that's was my my repayment was that it wasn't good enough sort of so it was a really difficult situation at, and that deployment was unique because I decided that time to move back home and I'd never done that before but it was just easier for me to like finish my bachelor's degree and do an internship in a place that I was familiar with mm-hmm. so um it was a really hard deployment and we went through a really hard time in our marriage, but I was living with my, my family, my parents at that time. So it was extra complicated, (laughs) but you know, long story short, I just really felt like part of empathy toward my husband because I know his history. I knew what he'd been through in his life. I knew what he'd experienced at war and I knew that he was hurting. Um, And in a lot of ways, I knew that underneath the facade and the hardness and the really mean spiritedness that he had toward me at that time, that there was still a heart of love and care. So I, I decided that I had to do what I needed to do to sleep at night. And to me, that was to honor my husband, even though, he didn't really want anything to do with me in that season. And it was long, a long couple of months, but he did change his mind and his heart eventually and really credited it to the fact that I showed him unconditional love in a time where most people in my situation would have probably just walked away. But yeah, um, I just really felt compelled to show him like real love. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say like, I'm not a superhero. It's nothing like special about me. It's just what I really felt led to do like as a person that has a strong faith and a person that really also understands like the hurts of humanity, you know, mm-hmm. I was graduating with a psychology degree at that time. So like yeah. I kind of could see like, you know, how life experiences and trauma had really affect his choices. So, um, we decided that we would stay married and figure out how to work it out from there. And it was a long road. It took a lot of healing, a lot of help from others, you know, therapy and marriage counseling. And, uh, I had to decide at some point that I actually forgave him so that we could grow together still, because I definitely like, it was like, oh, woo, our marriage is saved. But then when he came home from deployment, we kind of like lived life again together. It was kind of like, well, you owe me because you're a super big jerk. So <laughs> now you have to like be extra nice to me or whatever. But that wasn't going to work either. So we had to work through all those things. And it wasn't an overnight story for sure. Mm-hmm. But um it definitely matured us in lots of ways, like as individuals and as a couple, like we kind of went through hell and back again. 
and it gave us like not just true love but a tried and true love yeah and um so going forward from there obviously um my husband changed a lot from those days he he found a, a similar faith and kind of moved his trajectory toward being a helper to others in those situations yeah. and an advocate and a resource, which is why he left the army and went and got his masters of divinity to become a chaplain. Um, because we could see how there just is a lack of know-how. Like when you're young and you're going through really, that was a, a plethora of traumatic events that, he and I faced together and separately him in a war zone, me separated from him in the States. Like those are all trauma based experiences. Um, when you're in the thick of trauma, a lot of times you don't even know how to ask for help. So kind of it set us on a path and a career now where our heart is to find those people and to offer them care and companionship really while they're walking through those hard moments in life. And that's really what matters. It's not about, um, giving people like the answer or the perfect solution to their problems, but it's just about having companionship to walk with you through when your husband's deployed or when, you've been through a war-based event and need somebody to talk to about it. Like we get to be those people now for other people, which is really rewarding. Like, I feel like uh, I don't think anybody who goes through hurtful events wants to be like, Oh yeah, I do it all over again. But I'm glad that what we've been through in our personal marriage and relationship has led us to being able to use that hurtful experience to contribute good back to others. Um, so in that growth, when we did our last deployment, my husband was actually in a non-combat zone, which was really good as far as like peace of mind, knowing he wasn't in danger. Um, but we were able to have a much healthier relationship. And now, you know, this was 2016 that he left on that deployment. We had full communication, you know, he had his iPhone the whole time he was in Sicily. So we talked every day. We texted every day. He called the kids every night and did bedtime prayers. Like we were able to be wholly connected the whole time, which was great. Um, and sure we did change as people and have to like figure that all out when he came back, but it was, um, in a much healthier way that we handled it all. Like we, we had the language, we had the knowledge, had education that kind of like backed our experiences up and, you know, we're able to kind of support each other through that separation. And that was a cool deployment too, because he was in a non-combat zone. We were able to fly and visit him for three weeks in Sicily. So that was a really unique experience. That's not normal for deployment. Um, but yeah, so those are kind of the deployments that we weathered and how they affected our relationship and um, how we've kind of carried through and lasted for 18 years is just, mm-hmm. we've been through hard things, but um, thankfully they didn't break us. They, they made us stronger. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being so candid. Um, it's, that's a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. It is a lot. That's like the Cliff's Notes version. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, and I know 
knowing art over the last year or so, like to hear that you guys went through all of that and to know who he is today and not have, you know, you've, you've known him from, I mean, you, you've really been a part of his life as a friend, as a spouse, as a romantic partner, as you know, you, you've been able to see all of the growth that he's been through his whole, for, for most of his life and him, the same with you, he's been able to see the growth that you've, you've gone in the journey you've gone through. So to, to now know the both of you and hear, you know, the positives and, um, just the, the really good stuff into, you know, I've had discussions with art, but my personal life and he's, you know, you, you can tell that no matter what he's doing, he takes time to listen to you and hear you. And so that's, that's really awesome to hear that he's been able to become this really great person and be able to continue to enrich people's lives. (laughs) Did I lose you? hello hi hi i don't know what happened that was so weird uh, it's sorry seven eight o'clock my internet decides that it doesn't want to work anymore oh so just for like a good hot minute and then it comes back but my right. are also video gamers and they are both gaming right now oh so. <laughs> what was the last thing you heard I heard you say you guys have known each other a really long time. And then that's it. <laughs> um, okay, well, what I was saying was, um, I don't even know now. Well, that's okay. We can cut some of this out, I suppose. Um, we'll jump back into it with... Um, well, I, what basically what I was saying was it's it's nice to know that through arts to to know you in art now and having had conversations with art to, to hear the journey that he's been on and to know how much of a great person he is today is kind of, it's almost heartwarming that he's been able to find his calling and, you know, he's been through all of this and been able to grow from it. And as well as you, and you guys have known each other for so long that you've been able to see 
the growth that he's developed over the years because you've really known him a majority of his life and then he for you as well yeah for sure I think he was 14 when I met him (laughs) oh my gosh I can't even imagine a 14 year old art (laughs) oh it was special (laughs) (laughs) he wore lots of NASCAR t-shirts in those days goodness um so the first his first three deployments you guys didn't have any children that's right and then by his fourth deployment his fourth and his last deployment he had um you had your we son had both yeah Gideon our son was 10 months when he left on that deployment so he missed like first steps first birthday you know all the kind of like one-year-old milestones so yeah. Gideon was uh, 20 months when my husband came back from that deployment. And those are so really almost two of years or formative months for a child that young. It was, it definitely took them a long time to like kind of get warmed back up to each other after that. Mm-hmm. But, and it's, you know, children <laughs> developmentally have kind of like stranger danger and just want their mommy from like 16 to 24 months anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was just, that was a hard adjustment. And at that time in our life, um, my whole in-law's side of the family moved to the same town that we lived in, basically in North Carolina. So he was very comfortable with like my brother-in-law, but not his own daddy for a while. And that was really hard for my husband. Um, but they're best buds now. His daddy's shadow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's awesome. How how did you guys decide to expand your family? Because it was quite a few years into your marriage before you guys had kids. Yeah, so we we talked about kids occasionally, like, do you want kids? And we weren't like, we were never like, oh, yeah, we're gonna have three kids or whatever. We we're kind of just like, oh, whatever happens, happens, sort of. Mm-hmm. Um, I got pregnant in 2007 after my husband came back from that deployment very unexpectedly. Like we weren't trying to have kids. And I think it was like Thanksgiving. I figured out I was pregnant and unfortunately um, had a miscarriage a couple of Mm -hmm. weeks later. So kind of like that being pregnant and then having a loss kind of set us on the path of being like, oh, I guess this is actually something we really want. Yeah. Um, so going through what you went through on that deployment in in the marriage right so we definitely were like yeah we want we would love to have children um but I had some like infertility issues and we weren't really sure how and when it was going to happen so my daughter was a welcomed blessing I had a very difficult pregnancy but um I successfully delivered her in 2009 um after five weeks of hospitalized bed rest but she was healthy when she was born and we were glad and at that point it was kind of like okay like we have a child this is awesome and there were moments where like oh it'd be cool to have a bigger family but I just never really thought it would happen so I was very surprised when I was pregnant five years into my daughter's life. She was a kindergartner. It was like a season in our life. I 
return back to work. I was an adjunct professor at a university, like perfect job. I like taught during morning hours when she was in kindergarten and could pick her up from school at the end of her day. And we were just in a really good place. And then I got pregnant and then my husband got accepted into the Navy. So (laughs) all of that happened at the same time. And my son joined our family in 2015, like literally in the middle of a PCS. It was crazy. Um, We had like moved out of our house in Virginia beach and our things were like in a truck to be delivered to our home in North Carolina. And I went in labor and had him. (laughs) So he was our PCS baby and got made for a really hard adjustment to that duty station because I had a newborn and we were in a brand new place and I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And I had a very difficult delivery with him and had emergency C-section. So like, sure. Our house was all delivered in boxes, but I couldn't physically unpack or lift anything. So it was really a hard season for sure, but we made it. (laughs) Yeah. So we never really decided like the number of kids we'd have, but we're, we're glad to have two and that's it for us. Like (laughs) I'm getting older and I have always had a history of very complicated pregnancies. So it's just, in my opinion, not in our best interest to try anymore to have children because I don't want to, you know, be a threat to myself or my child if I was pregnant again. So for us, we're super happy and glad to have two and they're both miracles in their own rights. And, um, it's a perfect little family. Yeah. (laughs) The American dream, right? One boy, one girl. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, so let's talk about you. Um, the family and that's always very important, but you've, had, like I said, in the beginning of the podcast, um, you have a very impressive resume and, and, you know, the spouse, the the purpose of this podcast is really to, to talk about you and, in the sacrifices in the work you've put in to creating the life that you've created. So, um, you grew up in a small town, that's where you got you and art met. And then you've gone on to get your bachelor's and your master's, um, your pasture as well. So talk about, um, your experiences and your career path. Yeah, for sure. So obviously knowing my story a little bit, I had a passion to be more involved in the mental health community, especially related to our military families. So I, Right after that deployment and all the things that we went through, I got my master's degree in mental health counseling, but that has its own sets of um, hardships because in order to be a licensed professional counselor, you have to have three years of supervised counseling experience to become state board certified. And we've never lived somewhere long enough for me to do that. And probably won't because every state has its own licensure procedure. So even if I got licensed in Maine, the next state we moved to, I would have to start that process all over again. So I decided after a couple of years of trying to become licensed 
that it was kind of futile if we were going to live this lifestyle. So I absolutely use my counseling skills all the time. Um, you know, in helping military families and giving counsel as, you know, a minister, but I don't actually practice as a licensed professional counselor just because I haven't had the opportunity to get the credentials for it. Um, maybe in the future, if we settle down in life, then those things will happen. So there's definitely been not just like the sacrifice of like, Oh, you're separated from your family, but a really large sacrifice, not just me, but many military spouses have made to, to support and follow their husband and their career. Um, there's been kind of a push the last couple of years to really have companies that give like hiring preferences to military spouses because like, like I said at the beginning there, there was once a stereotype that we're just like all uneducated and we just like sit around and collect government paychecks and spend all of our husband's money. But the truth is, is most of us have professional education and really are unable to use it either because we have to be available for our families if our husband is deployable or, you know, we work in a field where professional licensure is dang near impossible because we relocate so frequently. Um, you know, that's not just mental health, but nursing and lots of other jobs, teaching, yeah, you know, I have, anything. I have a really good friend. Um, her, she's actually been with, um, her spouse since they were in high school. Um, they didn't get married for quite a few years, but she went, she did about seven or eight years to get her nursing degree. Um, she got pregnant unexpectedly last year and they right around, um, she was about eight weeks when they moved to Germany. Um, he's in the army. So they got stationed out there and, you know, she's, sacrificed a lot and to get her her nursing degree and took way more took longer than most students in order to get this and she couldn't find a job and she was pregnant so she was gonna have to find a job and then take some time off and she just she hasn't had any luck so she's been um and, and she's not a person to sit still and do nothing. Like she has worked, she's worked hard for what she's been able to achieve and to be stuck at home, pregnant, not working and waiting for her husband to come home from work has been super difficult. So it's something that, that we need to bring greater awareness to, I think, because. Yeah, for sure. It's like, you didn't take the oath, but you've sacrificed just as much. Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of, again, like another loss that you have to deal with in your life. Like, I remember, especially right after I finished my master's for two or three years, I tried to find employment. And it was just so difficult because everybody was like, oh, you're an army wife. Like, we're not going to invest our time in you because we know you're just going to leave. <laughs> Or we're not even going to start the supervision process for your credentialing because we know that you're not going to finish it. So, yeah, there's a lot of spouses, men and women, that just have to really have a whole different kind of career because they can't do what they dream of doing in this season of their life. Or mm -hmm. they are in a season where they're home with their children instead of 
using their degree. You know, it's always kind of like that little sting every month when you're paying on your student loans <laughs> just to be a homeschool mom. Right. But, um, for sure I've gotten to use my education and my, my talent, so to speak for my community, but there's not, never been a paycheck attached to it. Yeah. Which in one hand is rewarding that you're able to use it and, and frustrating on the other hand. For sure. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of us kind of get by, by the hope and the dream that maybe someday when our husbands are done with their careers, that it'll be our turn, you know, to, mm-hmm. to go and do the things that we hope to do in life. And, and sometimes, you know, the stars align and, you get a good job for a duty station and get to do something that you love for a while. And uh, it kind of gives you the, the unction to, to survive and get through it. <laughs> and I think something too, I know we've talked about it before um, is families that are divorced when someone's in the military and in divorced spouses are almost at an even more disadvantage when it comes to a lot of things because absolutely the resources just aren't there for them. Yeah. Like once, once you have divorce papers in your hand, you turn in your ID card, even it doesn't matter if you've given 12 years in your marriage in the military, um, you walk away with nothing. And that that can be really challenging. Uh, there's a whole separate issue there. I know several women who've become divorced from an active duty member and mainly because of the trauma of this lifestyle and not being able to, to get on the same page. And the, the unfortunate reality is a lot of times they're left homeless and really struggling through the rest of their lives. And oftentimes as single parents, because all of their resources are immediately cut off when they decide that divorce is, you know, the end of their marriage relationship. So even though oftentimes the military lifestyle is what really put the stressors on that relationship when it's over, it's, it's over. There's, there's no like bridging services. There's no financial support most of the time, unless you have children and that's part of your separation agreement. Um, there's just, there's a plethora. I mean, I would, I would say statistically speaking, 50% of people that have been married to somebody in the armed forces is now divorced from them and completely separated from the community in every way, like in every way. If you live in housing, you're kicked out. If you're collecting medical benefits, they're cut off. Like, just everything is done and it's it's a complicated loss it's not just loss of your marriage but it's loss of everything your identity your community um it's definitely a difficult thing for a lot of people to go through yeah it's it's very much um being having a spouse who's a member of the military is seems like it's very much like having a third person in the marriage yeah, in some ways, for sure. They can't, you know, it's, it's the the job comes first before everything else. And that's something that, you know, it's, it's not like a spouse can take a day off, like in most jobs to 
to go and have a, a day of, of a date day or something like that, or a family day. It's, you know, if they're overseas, they're working 24 seven, or if they're on base, they're working almost 24 seven. Yeah. And unfortunately there's still definitely a lot of stigma around getting support like marriage counseling or mental health support within the military, because you know, if you're enlisted or whatever, and you're like, Hey, sir, I need to take the afternoon off for an hour. They're like, why, what are you doing? Where are you going? Like there's so such a high level of accountability that there's no privacy when you're having struggle, which Mm -hmm. really just makes a lot of people not seek help. Um, so there's, it's just, it's complicated. A lot of people are like, well, I can't get help because it'll affect my career. And while like legally that's not true, there is an element to that that is true. Like then your immediate supervisors are questioning like your sanity and what's going on in your life. Um, and just like any other job, like if this was civilian world and you had trouble in your marriage, it's none of your boss's business if you're (laughs) going to go have marriage counseling, but that's not how it works in this lifestyle. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people, I feel like, uh, do end up separating and divorcing. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that they had no opportunity to really have any support or help. Mm -hmm. Um, which gives Art a really cool job because he gets to be kind of a neutral place for them to seek help and advice and counsel from without that stigma attached to it. Right. They could say, I'm going to see chaps and it's no big deal. Like it's not a a quote unquote counseling appointment. It is. He does do that, but, um, it's not like, Hey, I need to go off base and do something. (laughs) Yeah. Cause that, that is one of the things that I found out in arts interview is chaplains have 100% confidentiality. That's um, right. Which is kind of incredible to wrap your head around that he, whatever someone's a a service member says to him, he cannot repeat to anyone. um, Yeah. No matter what, like there's, there's no loopholes around it. And, and that gives that probably gives the freedom to these service members. It allows them to really say whatever is on their mind because there's, there's no backlash of, um, there's no backlash. They're allowed to say whatever they want. And they're given that freedom in, in most places, you know, because the military is so, I don't want to say rigid, but that's it's the only word that's kind of coming to mind. But there's so strict. The military is so strict that they they need an outlet. I think everyone needs some kind of outlet. Um, and I would say military members with mental health probably need it a little bit more. Um, but we we mental health in military members is getting more ground and getting more exposure and and some of the stigma is coming away. What are some of the mental health challenges that military spouses face? Oh yeah. I mean, isolation is a really big one. Loneliness. Like I think in a lot of ways, the Hollywood version of our lifestyle has really been a detriment to us. Like I think everybody thinks it's like army wives where we all live in this cute little 
neighborhood and we go over each other's houses all the time. And that might be some people's experiences occasionally, but for the most part, we're all just kind of surviving in our spaces. And oftentimes, even though we're living maybe on base or in a military centric community, uh, we were seen, but we're not really supported, if that makes sense. Like people know, oh, they're a military family. Like, especially if you're talking about like going to church on Sundays or you're part of like a community soccer league, like people know, oh, you're a military family. But that's not the same as understanding what our lifestyle looks like. Like, um, there's just a, a great deal of people that feel isolated and lonely. Like, because you're not around your family of origin, you never get to live in a place where you put down roots. Um, your husband can't be relied on like they can't or, or your wife, if you're a military spouse that's married to a woman in the military, you know, like you, you can't always be like, Oh, my husband can stay with the kids tonight because maybe he gets called to duty or mm-hmm. has an emergency at work or needs to work late. Like there's, just a lot of times where I know for sure I've, I've experienced that loneliness where sure I'm existing in a community, but I don't feel known really. Yeah. Um, so I think isolation is a big one. Loneliness is a big one. And we know that both of those spur on to deeper issues like anxiety, depression. Um, I think there's kind of almost like an associated PTSD some some people definitely go through that in their marriage or their relationships where their husbands come home with trauma and then you know that trauma kind of then replicates itself into the family dynamic um, yeah. we know a lot about PTSD way more than we did even 15 years ago and how it manifests oftentimes in short-temperedness and anger and mm-hmm. um I think a lot of people don't even know like basic ways of how to handle that in a family dynamic. So they're dealing a lot of times with behavior that they feel they have to like keep a secret, you know, like I can't tell my mom that my husband screams at me when he comes home from work. Um, Or I can't tell my best friend that I cried myself to sleep last night because, you know, I was so lonely. Like, I don't know. It, it kind of just is complicated. And then, there is a barrier to services, especially for the spouses, because almost everything has rules like you can't bring your kids. And this is pre-COVID, like, oh, your husband's deployed and you know nobody. And you want a counseling appointment, but you can't bring your kids or even a, a regular doctor's appointment, you can't bring your kids. So then it's like, well, where do you put your kids? Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, do drop-in care because most spaces have a CDC, which is like a child care center. But 98% of the time, there's no free drop-in spaces to do that. Or, you know, you don't always trust. You might know some people, but not necessarily enough to trust them to care for your children. So yeah, it makes it really complicated to get any sort of level of help. So, I mean, telehealth is awesome because it is giving more access to care for people that maybe can't have traditional face-to-face mm-hmm. counseling or services. Um, I think our military provides programming. That's good. Like the fleet and family center always has great like programs to support families, but 
the longer that we've been in the military, the more I find people are just weary to, to engage and even like military based services. They're just kind of like over it, you know, their whole life revolves around the military. And the last thing I want to do is go on base in the evening for another class or another support group. They just want to live their life, you know? And I understand that. Yeah. Do you find that a lot of military families, spouses and kids, um, because you have to move so often and so frequently that they kind of do the, um, like they don't want to establish roots so they don't get close. So they don't try and create relationships because they don't want to have to be upset when they leave. Um, no, I don't find that so much to be the truth of military families. In fact, I would say the opposite is true. We can put down roots, make connections, build community so fast compared to other people because we know that our time is limited. Like we know right off the bat, I have three years in this place. So I'm going to find myself like my friends, my my neighborhood group, my church, my this, my that. And you kind of like go in hard and you love them hard for that period of time. Um, I find it's more true that civilians or outsiders or like the base that we're at currently is in a very small town. So it's like uh, they've all known each other for their whole lives. And they're very reluctant to let us into their life because they know that it will end in a goodbye. And most people just would rather avoid that uh, connection or hurt. Now, there are times where maybe like you went through some hurt or you became friends with your neighbor at a different duty station and they ended up being really unhealthy relationship for you where you might be more reserved in a new place. Yeah. But I think for the most part, almost all military wives that I know want connection. They want to meet somebody. In fact, like I just met a new military spouse last week and she was telling me about how she downloaded an app called peanut. It's like (laughs) um, an app for moms to meet each other, like just to like make up another mom friend. And like that to me shows me like, People, even though they are isolated or feeling lonely, especially now during COVID, it's like twice as complicated. Mm -hmm. Um, Like there's still desire to find the connection. And I think that's our humanity. We all desire love and belonging, Mm -hmm. Um, whether we know it's going to be for an extended period of time or just for a couple of years. And I mean, everywhere we've lived, I've made really strong connections and really deep friendships and they are always like, it's not like we call each other every day or even text each other every day or even even every month. But there are people I know that I can call that I can relate to. And they were my family for a season of my life. They're the people that sat around my Thanksgiving table. And, yeah, you know, they're the people that cheered me up when my husband was deployed or brought me a Starbucks unexpectedly. Like, um, we we are capable of building really deep connections because we support each other's in more ways than just a regular friendship. We do kind of become each other's support systems when our husbands are gone or working a hard job or whatever. Yeah. It's an unspoken bond because no one else really understands what you're going through besides someone else going through the same thing. Right. 
that's true. So it's kind of like, you know, you walk a mile in each other's shoes, you know what it's like, and you're able to kind of meet those needs and see what each other needs in those seasons better than someone that doesn't know. Absolutely. So what are some misconceptions about being a military spouse? (laughs) Oh, there's lots of them. I think I've said already a couple of times, like this misconception that, you know, we're just, there's lots of nasty terms for us, like depend upon a mess. Like all we do is sit around and let our husbands work for uncle Sam and collect all their dough or get free health care, which believe me, the free health care is not very much worth it. <laughs> um, yeah, there's, there's definitely a misconception that, we're just a whole bunch of like uneducated rednecks that had no other future but the military or marrying the military. And that's just not, not the truth at all. In fact, mm-hmm. some of the most incredible human beings I've ever met are people that are in our armed services. They're, mm-hmm. they're brilliant. They're, they're not just like volunteering their time to serve our country, but they, they're serving people, you know, they show up, they, coach soccer like I think we like to think of military members and their families in a heroic way and that's good and true sometimes but we're also just people like we also like the same things everybody else likes we like Dr. (laughs) right we like to chill out at the end of the day and watch Netflix we like to you know have backyard barbecues on the weekends and Mm watch football games and go apple picking in the fall. Like all the things that quote unquote normal families do, we do too. It's just that we do it all over the country for three, three years at a time um, (laughs) around different communities because that's just what our lifestyle is like. Sometimes we're doing it alone because our spouse is deployed or training or, you know, some families sometimes have to choose to be separated because it's what's best for you know, their kids or whatever. Yeah. Um, so sure. We, we carry a comp, you know, complication because of our lifestyle, but in a lot of ways, we just like everybody else, you know, mm-hmm. we're normal American people. I don't think, I think people think like we just paint our faces red, white, and blue and <laughs> march around with a flag all the time. And it's just not, not the reality where we're normal people. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What what do you wish you had known before marrying art? I know this is a really loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> before marrying art, like as an individual or like as somebody that was already in the military? Go <laughs> uh, <laughs> two very different ways with that. Um, right. <laughs> um let's go in regards to him in regards to you being a military spouse. Yeah. Um, like we were so young. I don't think that we anticipated that the military lifestyle would be a long-term thing at that point. Um, in fact, when we were like dating and engaged, we we talked frequently about how he would do his three years of obligations and get out and we'd move to California or something crazy. Um, but after he served in Afghanistan, he definitely, even though of course he went through a lot of hard things at war, 
he created a bond with his comrades and wanted to make it a career. And I think it would have been nice to kind of have more conversation about that. He decided to reenlist while he was in Afghanistan. So like, of course we like very surfacey talked about it. Like I said, we were just writing letters back and forth at that point. But I think to discuss like, what is this going to look like as a career? Cause in a lot of ways, we took the hand that was dealt to us and we're winging it, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And now here we are 18 years later, still living within this community. Um, And definitely our purpose here has changed. Like my husband in those early years when he was 20, 21 reenlisting, he was enlisting as a war fighter. Um, And, and now we're serving the military, you know, from a helper's perspective which is much different. Um, but yeah, it would have been good to talk about what this would look like as a long-term career, but I don't regret the steps that we've taken or the life that we've lived within this community at all. It's been stretching and growing. Like I think every individual changes over time and Mm -hmm we change all the time, right? We say things like, Oh, you'll never change. But the reality is we change every day and our experiences, (laughs) our experiences in life change us. And, uh, we've had our opportunities to change by leaps and bounds because of our lifestyle, because we have lived in rural America and in urban America. We have lived in the North and in the South. We've lived, um, in diverse communities and non-diverse communities. We've, gotten to participate and experience different ways of living in the world um, much more than most people. And it's, it's given us uh, eyes that can see things from lots of different points of view. And I think that's been a really good thing. Um, It hasn't been easy, but it's been a really beneficial thing. It's, It's kind of expanded our hearts and our empathy to great leaps and bounds because at this point I think we've crossed paths with most types of life experiences and been able to walk with them for a period of time through, you know, their joys and also their hells. And it's been a privilege and an honor. So it's it's, go ahead too, because you both have studied the psychology of, humans so to have that on top of being able to observe your surroundings has given you a very unique perspective yeah for sure i mean we live in such a a polarizing time where kind of everything we're exposed to is dichotomous like good and bad republican and democrat this and that but um in this lifestyle we've we've crossed paths with all types of people from all types of places. Um, and the reality is, is that we're all serving our nation for the common good. Like there's, Mm -hmm. there's more similarities than differences. And that really, for me, gives me hope every day because I see these people in my community. They're my neighbors and they're my husband's coworkers. And they're the people that are walking down the sidewalk yeah, you know, every morning and they might have different beliefs than me. They might have different points of view, but we're all here for the same reason. 
And really it's because we love each other. (laughs) Like, sure. It sounds really heroic to (laughs) want to serve our nation, to sacrifice for America. But at the end of the day, who we really live this life for is for each other. Um, to support each other in it. So it's, it's been a privilege. Yeah, absolutely. You've talked a lot about community and Mm -hmm. how important that is. Um, what does the military do to help their communities? Oh, like I said, like we're, we're normal people. We don't just operate behind the, the secure gates of our bases. Um, we're fully integrated in our community. Like obviously for Homeland Heroes, Art gets to be a board member as an active duty service member. Um, And that's, that's not an unusual thing. We're fully integrated in our, you know, towns and in our youth sports and in our high schools and in the classrooms. Um, We're room moms. We're, we're just as involved in our communities as somebody that might've lived in their town for their whole lives, even if we're only integrated for a short period of time. Um, and, and that's a good thing because not only are we living a life of service to our nation as military members, but we also are still living alongside civilians and experiencing the same things they are, right? We're living through COVID just as much on base as everybody is living through off base. Um, or anything, any, any topic that you can think of. So community, um, R and I are super passionate about community. Community is a place where you belong. And that's so important for our military families because our location changes so frequently that Mm -hmm. finding community is really important. And there's lots of ways to do that. Lots of different things out there even apps like peanut apparently or meetup or you know just finding kind of our places in the world and where we fit um so that there's some sort of consistency you know We, we see that a lot like military families do that for their children like oh my kids do gymnastics so everywhere we go they join gymnastics or whatever is their thing as a family and i think that's a really good thing so we're we're participating in our local communities and we're also participating at a national level as volunteer service to our nation. Um, mm-hmm. I think we bring we bring a lot of perspective and diversity to the places that we get to be a part of because we've oftentimes lived a varied life experience. Um, yeah. So, yeah, we just have a different point of view on things because of the life that we've lived it's not a better point of view, but it's just a different one. Is there anything your community could do to better help military spouses and their families? Yeah. I mean, the, the biggest thing you can do is show up. Like, don't, don't be like, Oh, I don't really want to be friends with her because I know that she's going to leave in two years. Mm -hmm. Um, get to know a military family, invite them to be a part of your life. Ask them if they have somewhere to be for Thanksgiving or Christmas, you know, ask if you can build a relationship and be kind of a support for them in their season. So you can be the one that shows up to their kids play or you can drop, have them drop the kids off and they can go have coffee alone or, you know, just 
we we really lack the consistent community that most people have in places where they live for a long time. Like it, it would be amazing for communities to show up in tangible ways. Like for example, when you PCS, you throw out all your groceries for the most part, um, just to be received into a neighborhood and a community where they drop off like a bag that has your spices in it, you know, like, we have to recreate everything brand new when we move to a new place. Sure. They pack up like our furniture and our clothes and our belongings, but just all the things that you don't think of, you know, like even if it's box with some toilet paper and Lysol in it, that's appreciated. Just, I guess, and instead of assuming the old stereotype that we, we take care of our own, ask like how can we help take care of you you know how can we support you or be a part of your life in this season um because there's very much that that idea that we're independent we're strong we pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and while that might be a reality it's also a forced reality because there is no other option um but to do that for yourself. So to have a community that actually not only like acknowledges that we're a military family, but understands that we want connection. We want to be part of your community that we don't want to have to be all things to ourselves that we could also learn to receive from others, I think would be a really, helpful thing for a lot of people. Absolutely. And that's something that is really strong within the Homeland Heroes Foundation is um, the fact that we've been able to set up a community um, right in our backyard where veterans and their families are are helped um, in various different ways, whether it's resources or, um, you know, setting up, giving gift cards for uh, grocery stores or gas. Um, you know, the, the mission of the Homeland Heroes Foundation is to help veterans in their families reacclimate to civilian life. Um, but that can also be said for, you know, doing having the moves and moving from one area to another. And in, in the North, in the um, New England area, we have several communities that are military based and um, organizations like the Homeland Heroes Foundation is are able to set up communities to help folks who might need a little extra help or um, and different things like that. So having having the, the community is what really sets things apart, I think, um, because we're able to come together. And that's what we need to do. We need to be able to come together and be there for our fellow humans. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Like there's lots and lots and lots of different creative ways to do that for people, but even not necessarily in an organizer foundational way, but just in a human way to yeah. to be friend and to recognize like sure they have a complicated lifestyle and they might be part of a base community or whatever, but that doesn't mean that they don't need friends that are civilians or yeah. the support of their 
civilian communities as well. We do. We do need that. Absolutely. So if anyone's listening out there and they are civilian and they know of um, a veteran family or a military family, reach out and say hi and be there if you can in any small way or big way that you can. Um, showing compassion for your fellow neighbors is something that's very important. And we should do more of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation, Jessica. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast and sharing your story and um, sharing a little bit of art story as well. Thank you for, for your service as much as arts. Well, thank you. Thank you for your time and for the opportunity to share just a little bit of our experience and our story. Yeah, it's definitely stories that we need to share shine more lights on, I think. I agree. Awesome. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later and tell arts to um, behave and all that good stuff. (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) This podcast is brought to you by the Holman Harris Foundation, an organization dedicated to the reacclimation support of active duty service members, veterans, and their families in their time of need. To learn more, support, volunteer, or donate, please visit homelandheroesfoundation.org. Thank you to our production team at Dairy Cam, creating connection through story for a better world. Learn more by visiting dairycam.org. And thank you for listening and make sure you subscribe to the Homeland Harris Salute wherever you listen to podcasts.